A bird with a word came to me The sweetness of a honeycomb tree And now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through I got my patience and I'm making do I learned my lessons from the ancient rules I choose to follow what the greatest do A bird with a word came to me Sweetness of a honeycomb tree And now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through I got my patience and I'm making do I learned my lessons from the ancient rules I choose to follow what the greatest do I'm repping for the longest cycle mm. My uncles had to pay the cost my sister used to sing the Whitney mm. My mama caught the gambling bug mm. We came up in a lonely castle mm. My papa was behind them bars mm. We never had to want for nothing mm. Said all we ever need is love mm. We see the same thing We sing the same song We feel the same grief same blood You grew up in the home beside me I always had a friend to call How could I make it here without you? Mm. I pray I leave before you go A bird with a word came to me The sweetness of a honeycomb tree And now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through I got my patience and I'm making do I learned my lessons from the ancient rules I choose to follow what the greatest do A bird with a word came The sweetness of a honeycomb tree And now I look what's taking over me Couldn't fake it if I wanted to I had to wake up just to make it through Patience and I'm making do. I learned my lessons from the ancient rules. I choose to follow what the greatest do. to Ink Studs. This is Sloan Leong, your host, your guest host, and today we're talking to Meredith Gran. Hi, Meredith. Hi. Um, and you will know her from her really amazing webcomic, Octopus Pie, and it has actually a book release through Image on February 24th. 
So that's really exciting. We're getting, we're going to see her whole like 800, 900 page comic finally. Okay, yeah. I know so many pages. So amazing. Um, yeah. So I get to see those in book form. Yeah, it'll be like the whole thing collected finally in like consistently printed books. That's awesome. And you have like pretty, they give you a pretty decent creative control over like how it looks and everything. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what you've done with it and how they look. The first volume looks really nice. I like the new cover. Thank you. You're right. Yeah, it's very pretty. So yeah, you have been around making comics for a long time. You started serializing um, Octopus Pie in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it is, well, I guess I can, I'll, I'll let you say what it's about. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I feel like the synopsis is always like either super boring or uh, compensates for that way too much <laughs> where I'll either say like, it's a bunch of 20 somethings in Brooklyn or I'll say like, it's a thorough exploration of one's soul Throughout the timeline of their 20s. I guess that works, actually. <laughs> it I don't work. know why I'm, I'm acting like that's over the top. But um, it's pretty much just I've written it throughout my 20s, um, which are now over, but uh, still sort of going in my memory of mm-hmm. uh, the changing feelings, the way you change uh, physically and emotionally and uh, how you regard things uh, that you're dealing with presently and retroactively. Um, and I'm really just trying to document th- that through an ensemble cast that lives in Brooklyn. Perfect. Yes. Um, it's like, yeah, I started reading it, I want to say about 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, it took me a while to get into it because I wasn't used to, I guess, just the structure. Well, I don't know. It's just very different. I guess I grew up like reading like manga, but I didn't even get into comics like until I was 16. Mm -hmm. So like every page has like basically like a punchline or if it's not a joke, it's like an emotional like beat at the end of your pages. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always thought that was really cool. And I was like very like, I don't want to say distracted, Mm -hmm. but it took me a while to like learn to appreciate like different types of storytelling because I was a baby. I was like a child. <laughs> so um, it's absolutely a different way to read it. And I've noticed just from teaching comics that uh, I came up in a comic strip environment. Mm. And that's not true of a, a lot of people who have gotten into comics in like the last 10 or so years uh, where, um, you know, a lot of it comes from manga and graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was pretty much, you know, dreaming of doing my own little Calvin and Hobbes thing for yeah. like, you know, forever. Um, so yeah, that was absolutely like a format that I was interested in working in at the time. Yeah. You like work in it so well. It's such a, like, like as you keep, as I kept reading it, I realized how like sophisticated, uh, like your sense of story and pacing has to be to like condense not only like your, like the joke or the, the comedy of like the bit of the scene, and so, like, as I kept reading, I was just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say what's going to be uh, accessible for people in the beginning. Like, a lot of people like that jokey format. And later on, uh, with less and less of it, I think they see it as more of a dramatic comic. Um, they don't they don't see, like, that little uh, pick-me-up at the end of every beat. And mm-hmm. it's it just becomes a different experience to read it that way. But um, 
you know, my my hope at the beginning was to make it as accessible as possible for people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more accessible now, at least I'm seeing more and more people jump on it now that there are, you know, these like highly emotional stories that unfold over the course of like 30, 40 pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool to see, like, as you um, kind of developed over time, just the different choices you started to make with the story. It's really cool. But before I dive into that, ask you all sorts of questions, I'm going to wind back time and I'm going to ask you about your, I guess, growing up and like the role either comics or just art or movies had like in your life Mm -hmm. and like what impacted you the most as you're growing up. Uh, Well, I was really obsessed with animation. I know, um, you know, people like to cite their their comic influences. I did love comic strips quite a bit. And Mm -hmm. I think... uh, you know, I I did have this idea in the back of my head that I was going to make a syndicated comic strip for a mm-hmm. long time. Um, but animation was uh, was a big thing for me, too, uh, to the point where I don't think I really watched anything live action until I was like, like nine or ten years old. I started coming around on it where mm-hmm. like before that. I was like, this is just not entertainment for me, <laughs> even if it was like obviously for kids. Mm-hmm. Um I just, it just resonated with me so much more to watch those cartoons talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I was very much in my head about that stuff. And I had like all of my own movies written out that were like, you know, just ripoffs of The Lion King and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, I was, I was very sure uh, that I was going to bring those ideas to life. Um, and it was very hard for me to focus on anything else. Um, I was not super interested in uh, movies or, or TV or uh, books that didn't, uh, feed that addiction to uh, cartoons and, and comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I, uh, that's interesting you say you you watch cartoons. Like, that was, like, your main source of story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I find your, I guess, your style and, like, the ease of, like, the ab- abstraction that your stories get it seems so natural. So that's kind of cool. It's a cool little tidbit, if I might. <laughs> <laughs> I might say. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure there's some deeply embedded language behind it that I've just sort of, you know, picked up over obsessing on it for so many years that uh I probably don't even think that much about anymore. Yeah. Um and what about did you have any like family or like people in your life that kind of influenced that or like encouraged you to pursue that or were you kind of your own, like you had, you were just determined on your own. (laughs) I mean, I was very determined. Um, my parents did encourage me quite a bit. My mom was, uh, she studied art in college and didn't pursue it. Uh, but she was, you know, she was always drawing with me and encouraging, encouraging me to draw. Um, and my brother and sister, my younger brother and sister would draw with me. We would pretty much just do it as a social activity most of the time. Like, Mm -hmm bring our sketchbooks on, you know, we'd bring it, if we went out to a restaurant, we'd bring our sketchbooks. If we went on vacation, it was just about drawing in a different place and forcing our parents to read those. Um, so I would say within the house, there was a ton of encouragement. Um, it, it felt like that was something we all did to bond with each other. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I want to ask, did you go to um, art school at all? Yeah, I went to the School of Visual Arts from 2002 to 2006. Nice. And I know this is like, you probably get this question all the time. I never went to art school, so I'm kind of interested in like how that impacted you Mm -hmm. and your whole, I guess your whole life and like point of view on art. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely picked up some mentors while I was in art school. And in that regard, I'm I'm super happy I went. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I picked up a lot of friends that I'm happy I made uh, and just like the influences I, I picked up. I think when I entered art school, I was drawing like I was obsessed with anime and I was drawing in like a very like Sailor Moon 1998 type style. <laughs> like, Sailor Moon, Powerpuff Girls, like nice. I think those would probably have been my main things at the time mm-hmm. and when I got to art school I was like I'm gonna break this down and start over and I, just, like, <laughs> I started like deconstructing my style because I had like this I, I think this was a good part of animation school that I was told right away that I'm not going to be able to insist on my own style if I want to work in this field and mm-hmm. I think that was helpful that uh, I knew right away that I wasn't just going to draw whatever I wanted uh, I had to be able to draw what other people wanted and um mm. you know it would also be like beneficial to myself to not stick to something like to, to some limitation I decided on when I was like 17 mm-hmm. um so I spent a lot of time just like my my art style sort of evolved into like a very anatomically uh intense I don't know if that's the word but I mm. was I was focusing a lot on anatomy and combining that was with like a cartoon style mm. I think I was like you know probably obsessed with Glenn Keane when I was doing that stuff mm. where it was like I want this to look like a master like I want it to look like Leonardo da Vinci's sketchbook but it's like you know fucking Mickey Mouse <laughs> uh, just like and just and you know incorporate as much anatomy into it as possible mm-hmm. um and I think that really helped me uh from sticking to something too early I think I was able to rebuild it then after I got out of art school so that was a big thing um and then just I met teachers who gave me my first few jobs and that's I think you know pretty essential those those first couple of jobs where you learn to hear no and uh you know take that criticism from people who know what they're talking about and mm-hmm. realize that there's nothing personal behind it um, so yeah, I mean, in that way, I'm really glad I went to art school um, mm-hmm. and I just, I love the school. And now that I'm teaching there, I'm like super happy to be back. That's super cool. Yeah. That's awesome to have that, like to come full circle. That's really cool. <clears throat> Another thing about mentors, I guess, did you have anyone specific that mentored you or you kind of feel like you just kind of are just like really a hungry like learner so you're just like always taking from whatever's around you um I mean I think I'm I I was very obsessive and like hungry to learn more at the time uh, Mm -hmm. when I was like 19 20 um as far as like animation mentors um Howard Beckerman was a big one for me he's one of Mm -hmm. the teachers at SVA and he um you know he's very grumpy about people refusing to learn the original way something was made mm-hmm. um, and I kind of allowed myself to be a curmudgeon about it too and just be like this is how you make animation this is how you make comics this is how the masters did it mm-hmm. and I want to be able to understand those things even if they don't apply directly to what I do mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I carry that that attitude even now which doesn't always necessarily need to be as strongly held as I as I do but I kind of just insist like for my own for my own purposes, I want to know more than I need to about this, and then I can use the the cool tools to make it. Mm. Um, and then, as far as like uh, comic mentors, 
Um, I ran into John Rosenberg, who does uh, scenes from a multiverse, okay. uh, like on the street with one of my friends one day. Mm-hmm. And recognized him from like buttons on his bag, and like my friend just like coughed and said his name, like John Rosenberg. <laughs> he like whipped around. He's like, what? Um, and then he like we talked to him for a few minutes, and he like invited us to come hang out at this bar he goes to every week. And I ended up like pretty much through school going to the bar once a week and like me and a couple other students and a couple of John's friends just like talking about comics and like how to succeed online with them. And that was like a little master class in addition to what I was learning at school. Mm. So that was a big deal for me. That's really cool. Yeah, I guess I just have that on my mind, like mentorship, because I feel like I people have asked me like and like I've seen people talk about like if you want to support like I don't know marginalized artists or like women artists like you need to be you know step it up and be a mentor to them too and but that mm-hmm. was never a part of my life so I'm interested in people who have had that experience so that's cool to hear mm-hmm. yeah and I mean I I know friends who who say that they that who lament that they they didn't experience that um but yeah I don't know I I, I feel it was it was very powerful for me uh, I think I would have arrived um, in a place I'm happy with regardless, but mm-hmm. um, it would have been a different set of skills. And I, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, things probably just would have looked different than they look now. Right, right. Interesting. So uh, you started Octopus Pie during school then? Uh, no, it was about, I think, a year after I graduated. A year yeah, after. Okay, got it. So what was your life like around this time and like, why, why was that the time to start, to start the story? Um, I was very, very depressed. Mm. Uh, there was a death in my family, like a couple months before. And I was, I guess I was thinking a lot about spending my life, my time wisely. Um, cause I was in between jobs. Um, I had another one starting up in a couple months and I was like really struggling to do some, to like commit to something brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I had a couple of false starts. I had a website that was called Octopus Pie, and it was for something else that I didn't end up doing. It was just going to be, like, animation. Like, I was going to do, like, little GIFs of, like, stupid loop animations, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been fun in hindsight. I think uh, GIFs weren't quite what they are now, but mm-hmm. I think there could have been an audience for that. But I was just like, all right, well, I have this domain name, and none of these ideas are working, and I just need to do something. And I thought you know, I would, I would take these characters that I'd already created like a while ago mm-hmm. and just give them a really, really basic framework. Um, you know, nothing that I'd have to commit my entire life to, but just like, you know, something will happen and then mm-hmm. things will reset to the status quo and then I'll do another story and I'll see how long I want to do this, but I definitely want to treat it like my job because mm-hmm. if I don't, I'm going to make myself even more depressed, like not fulfilling this thing that I promised myself I would do Mm -hmm. so it felt very intense at the beginning like I was proving something to myself and I was proving something to my family and my friends Mm -hmm. like look I'm I'm coming out of this I'm doing something I really want to do and I'm so serious um and you know to the point where I was like losing sleep over it I was just like when my freelance job started up again I was just like staying up all night to do my webcomic too Mm because I was like neither of these things can be compromised. Like it absolutely needs to happen right now. There was a sense of urgency to it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for a few years that I really 
relaxed on that and was like, it's fine. People aren't going to go away if you if you don't stay up and do this thing tonight. Yeah, that sounds like a really intense, like emotional landmark project to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How so you have these characters for a while. I was just talking to um, Chris Mukai about characters. Uh, So how long did you like have them with you before you thought they were like ready to come out or were you were they pretty fleshed out and ready Um, to be dropped into the story? I mean, they were uh, they were like if I look back at my sketchbooks, I was probably drawing them in college. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I I was really into like Mission Hill, like uh, just a show where people are just like fucking around and doing nothing and like having their coolness question and, you know, just interacting with each other. And that Mm -hmm. was where like all the entertainment came from. Um, So I was I'm kind of losing sight of what the of what the question was. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just interested because I feel like, I don't know, uh, some people's relationship with how they make characters varies. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, I have a hard time forming characters without stories around them mm-hmm. already. Right. Whereas someone like Chris, she's had these characters for a while, and mm-hmm. she's built stories with them, but she had no, she's built histories with them, but had no right. story to put them in. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I had a really vague idea of the story, and I mean, I think that's that's not rare either. Um, I talk to a lot of people who have just like their their perfect cast of characters ready to go, mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily a story to put them in. And I mean, I, I guess I didn't really think they needed much of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't so I wasn't so particular about that at the time. Uh, so I would just kind of be like, all right, well, what's you know what do I know about these characters? Like they, they don't get along. And that was like, you know, an easy framework to go from is like, they don't get along because they have differences. Right. So I can build something out of that. Um, I think that the first few stories were pretty seat in my pants. I was like, you know, I was, I was really trying to build a relationship that, that felt organic with them that like, mm-hmm. okay, well they don't get along, but they're not going to be just like, um, you know, they're not going to be just like this stereotype and that stereotype forever. Like they're going to kind of come to, know each other a little bit better Mm -hmm. and I think you know as I was doing that I was coming to know them better too and thinking about more stuff I wanted to write about them and it really it kind of snowballed like I was getting very excited about it at the time yeah okay that's yeah that that makes sense and that's that makes me think too of the same like the comic strip format is actually a super um good format to build a story off of because you are basically just playing off like the friction between characters and you can kind of go one page at a time while mm-hmm. still maintaining some sort of like energy and like, I don't know, I guess like just store. I, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I'm cause I'm not really, I can't do comedy. I feel like I'm like really bad at that. Or I just am like a sad person and I like to draw like, I don't know, serious stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, know if that's the reason. I mean, um, like, but I know because I'm so funny in real life. You know? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but yeah, that format and the choice of, I guess, genre is really interesting to me because, yeah, mm. comedy. So what is your approach to like, I guess you've pretty much, you've talked about it, but um, I guess for like writing these gags, how has, uh, not even gags, I don't want, uh, that feels like a, <laughs> kind of like a bad way to say it, but. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's good that it's funny. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess like your writing process, 
for developing these stories and like, I guess these short scenes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit process and approach there? Yeah. I mean, I think my sense of humor used to be a lot different where I was um, like, at first I did a lot of like word play and sort of logical uh, journeys that the characters would take you on to make a joke. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think at the time I was trying to figure out, uh, I think I was trying to figure out myself intellectually. Like I always, I always kind of felt like, like socially my, my personality really didn't come together when I was a kid or in college or even like for most of my twenties because I was intellectualizing things and like really trying to pick up what it is that made other people be able to communicate, um, you know, freely with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seemed like a puzzle to me where I was just, I was watching the people in my life who had more confidence than me. I was really shy as a kid and mm-hmm. it took me like the longest time to figure out how to talk to people. Um, which, you know, is an ongoing journey. It mm. continues forever. But I think at the time I approached humor the same way where I was just sort of intellectualizing what was funny. And it's easy to feel that way about like puns and like, and like these little paradoxes that I was building. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the source of most of the humor there. Um, whereas later on, I think I started to grow a little more comfortable in my own skin and I was just like, I was laughing at things on a visceral level where I didn't feel like the joke needed to be uh, fully explained or even fully understood to, to find it funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the, um, the process for that used to be sort of more of an assembly. And later on, it was more about like an impulse, like this is going to be funny. And then maybe trying to craft a little bit so that, that other people, people other than me could understand it, like mm-hmm. friends or whoever was in on that obscure humor at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to go back to what I was thinking in those earlier years. I think I was just like setting up a framework of a joke and then finding the little bits of it to put in it for the desired um, comedic effect. Mm-hmm. It feels a little more like the way they write 30 Rock. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a little puzzle. Yeah, you can, yeah, you don't have to, I figured it'd be hard. It's really hard because you've been drawing it for so long to like step back in time and like see your process then. But now it feels like I just read through Octopus Pie again last week and it was so, it's so cool to see you kind of just like, uh, I don't know. I just get, it feels, it feels like you became like more, not maybe not more self-reflective, but that you're able to dig out this really specific nuanced like emotional like conflicts just within like yourself and then between others and be able to like show that on the page and like Mm -hmm. they're really complex either like humor or problems you have with other people or problems with self and just yeah I just thought that was really impressive just as it as as I read more and more it just became more and more just like nuanced and yeah it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does feel that way. Like I know that that the state I was in then was was an attempt to communicate that sort of thing. And I guess by attempting it, I was doing it in some way. I was showing mm-hmm. that that's how I looked at the world. Mm-hmm. But uh, being able to um, understand emotionally, like what your vision is, and then communicate it on the page without losing too much of that emotion. Um, I think that's the the skill that I've focused on the most in the last few years, like really trying to train that muscle where uh, the thing that popped into my head that gave me a feeling 
can hopefully make it alive to the the surface where other people get to see it. Mm-hmm. Has your um, I feel like you have a really like direct line between like what your like the image of your mind and like the medium. Do you think? And of course, your style has and like writing style and artistic style has progressed like tons. Um, but do you have like a stylistic goal that you're working to right now, or are you pretty like satisfied with where you are? Because I guess I, I guess thinking of like comic strips, like I feel like a lot of like famous comic strips, their styles have like stayed consistent. And that's not like a worry to them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, right. Yeah. And I mean, for some people, the consistency is is uh part of it like that that right. there's beauty in that consistency mm-hmm. um and i think i might have wanted that at some point but uh now i find that if i'm too consistent for too long i start to feel dissatisfied mm-hmm. um like lately i'm kind of like um i'm sort of doing the thing i was doing a few months ago and i'm like a little bit antsy about it mm-hmm. and i'm kind of waiting for the next little breakthrough to come along mm-hmm. um i i don't like i think in your 20s if if you feel the same way about something that you felt about it, like a few months ago, even mm-hmm. that's kind of alarming. Um, so I don't think that would be how these characters are acting. I don't think it's how their stories would be told. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like if I get to a point where I, I see it consistently that way, then I don't really want to be doing it anymore. Yeah. Uh, means the, the feeling has gone away. Um, but I also fall into these little pits of disillusionment where I'm just like demoralization, I should say, uh, where mm-hmm. I'm just like, this is it. This is the end. I can't think of anything more I want to <laughs> do with this. And that weirdly, you know, provokes the new, the next step of it, which I suddenly get very excited about and I have to just vomit it out as quickly and as urgently as possible. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess I, I guess I shouldn't have said like your story styles can stay consistent. I was mostly talking about your visual elements because your story style has changed a lot um, and writing style. I wonder, is it because Octopus Pie has always been online and I feel like you have like a really like a huge like readership and you kind of like, I don't know, I guess participate, with, mm-hmm. you know, with your audience, either on Twitter yeah. or whatever. Are you like influenced by your audience at all and their, not necessarily like their comments or anything, but how they take in information now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do read their comments. Um, I definitely notice what works with them, where they where they get what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, you know, I'll notice I'll notice specifically I'll notice comments that are from people who are younger than me, mm-hmm. uh, where they'll be like. I don't, I'm not so sure about this. Like I'm really questioning the motives of these characters. And then somebody who's my age will have a completely different view on it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, I think that's a success too. Mm. That I've, I've captured something that, that maybe if I'm lucky, those people will, will get into in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed, I really enjoy setting those little target points. Um, I mean, my, my hope is that, uh, is that everyone can understand what I'm, I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But since that has stopped being so much the case in the last year or two, when everything is changing, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've, it's, you know, it's kind of like Oregon trail where you're trying to like shoot the deer before it gets to the, to the center of the screen. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm definitely trying to aim it in ways that, that I hope people are going to be able to appreciate 
as far as like readers predicting what's going on, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it happens very often. Uh, I know a lot of people say that they like to read what the what the readers think is going to happen and then do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, not a bad way of of doing it, um, you know, not giving them necessarily what they expect, um, mm-hmm. but giving them something that, you know, they're going to love anyway. Um, I definitely react to the readers that way. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but before you had mentioned just like upping like the drama and like the kind of like downbeat storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, it was really cool to see that change over time as I was reading. Um, and you have so many story arcs now. Um, I guess are there any that stand out to you that are your favorites or are really personal or that um, provided something to you emotionally as you worked on it? I should like, I'm like opening up my story guide. You're like, what, uh. what the stories <laughs> have been. I mean, there's, there's a lot here that, um, you know, particularly in the last couple of years where I've taken something that I was dealing with in the moment and mm-hmm. tried to, uh, tried to get it out in like while the moment was still kind of going on. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I would, I would say that pretty broadly about like the last like, you know, year or two of stories. I felt that way where, um, you know, even my view would change halfway through the story and I would change things about the story to reflect that. It felt mm-hmm. like very real time, like, like I got to finish the story quickly or I'm going to become a completely different person before it's <laughs> over. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's, I, I should just give you a specific one. I mean, the one, the one where Hannah learns to run, uh, yeah. that was a big one for me uh, that, you know, it's like a, a story about a character who, who just wants to speed up time and be over with a terrible point in their life. Hmm. And they can't seem to figure out a solution beyond that. Um, like they know that the passage of time is the only thing they can do, but mm-hmm. they're trying to like change who they are and get into a routine. And they're like quietly hating people that, that don't seem to be dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, uh, you know, I was trying to write like that, that sinking feeling of like, Oh no, what I'm doing was making it better for a little while. And now it's not. Mm-hmm. And like realizing that that's not a linear thing. Um, and just being so frustrated over that, like, how can I take control of this thing that is clearly not a hundred percent in my control? Mm. Um, so I felt very strongly about that when I was doing it, that I was, I was trying to write a story where the passage of time seems like a complete eternity because the circumstances are just not what they should be. And mm-hmm. the, the character doesn't feel the way that they want to feel like that they desperately want to feel. Yeah. And that's actually probably one of my favorite arcs and also favorite pages, um, specifically like um, 742, which is called The Witch Lives, where it's just all those like spread out panels of her running and she's on her laptop and she's baking and just kind of like, like you said, just trying to like move time along and like get over this hump. And it's like, yeah, it's super cool. This isn't even like the first I feel like it was back in like maybe 2009. So several arcs ago that you start like playing with like um, layout and just like spreading out pages and all sorts of stuff. And it's super, super fun to read. Mm. Um, and also uh, from the same arc, I really love the um, I want nothing song <laughs> from 709, uh, page 709. Um right. 
when I when I saw this, I was like, I could hear her singing it, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, was I was like, like writing it in my head. Like, <laughs> I, I can tell you the melody too. Can you tell me the melody? I I have to if you can. If you don't mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable, I really would, want to hear it. <laughs> it would be hard though because it it feels like when I was a kid, I would like. I would walk around on the schoolyard and daydream and write songs for my big movies. Really? <laughs> I think they're missing something. Like, I think they're missing an actual musical note structure. I think oh, okay. they just have all the emotional beats to them. Yeah. Um, and I think this story operates in, in the same way. Um, yeah, it would be incredibly embarrassing for me to try. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I won't force you, but yeah, I just really enjoyed that. Cause I had like, I don't think I've ever had like a, reaction to a comic where I could actually hear a song like I know like a lot of like manga comics or like I guess like American comics aren't as good I think at drawing drawing music as maybe manga is but I've never been able to like hear the song and I'm like trying to sing along with her <laughs> through, the, <laughs> through the bubbles and I'm like oh my, this is so cool um anyway yeah everyone listening should go look at that page because it's pretty awesome um they're all they're all pretty easy to uh google by the by the the titles you've you've stated yeah uh yeah I just love that page um and yeah you've been I feel like you've been really like pushing your sequences I mean yeah I, I don't know I feel like a, a lot of people were like taken by your um by the Jane sequence I think that was page one eight or eight eighteen right which is really just really pretty and like decompressed of Jane like going to her room through um a couple of stories in her building mm-hmm. and a bunch of different fun sequences. Um, and it was just really cool. I just think it like highlighted, like, I think there's like some like funny parts where there's like, um, there's like a swimming pool ceiling and like <laughs> there's a concert and there's, uh, there's a couple of funny things. Yeah. It's just like really, really cute, really slow. I know a lot of people were like super taken with it, but I feel like, yeah, you've been like just like pushing it and like decompressing pages just been really uh fun to read and exciting like comic wise (laughs) yeah I'm I'm really glad that sequence came together because I I got it like it was almost like a challenge to myself like I knew how the story was going to play out and then Mm -hmm. I thought like maybe I should do this really really over the top thing that just breaks up the pacing completely like just throws out all of what I was trying to time out with this Mm. um and take it to a different place and I think it kind of, um, I think it's one of many now like sort of self-referential things, at least for me, that um, that now that the comic is wrapping up, I'm trying to uh, say goodbye to some things about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that sequence, I was really trying to show this youth-oriented world that they live in and uh, how... You know, I, I I heard people saying like, oh, you can enjoy this without the context of it. Um, I don't. I mean, I think that's great, but I don't necessarily agree. Yeah. Because uh, I was really like, I really wanted to build this idea that like she's thinking about what the next stage of her life is going to be, mm. and she still lives in this world, and it's inescapable. Like she can't even sleep through this, um, and she has to like walk through that world and kind of say goodbye to it uh the way like I feel like I'm kind of saying goodbye to the larger world of this comic and Mm -hmm. of like being an age where you would actually live in a place like this (laughs) 
Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you can you're totally missed on so much if you only look at that page. I mean, it's beautifully drawn and colored, of course, but yeah, all that subtle context is like you need it. <laughs> you're kind of like saying goodbye to things. Uh, that was kind of another thing that I noticed. I think in this um, arc, uh, with I feel like there's been has there been like there's snapshots like spread throughout the pages, mm-hmm. kind of like randomly, and they're like. Or not, I mean, randomly to me, not randomly to you. And they're, like, they're not necessarily colored super different from the rest of the comic. They're, like, full color. They're not, like, and they're not, like, super grainy. So it's kind of a subtle change to the panel that is actually, like, a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I don't know if we're at the point in the comic where, is Hannah looking at those photos on her computer? Yeah, is she's, that, like, okay. She's got, like, this little hard drive, and she's, like, pulling up all this old shit that she hasn't seen in years. Oh, that's right. That's the hard drive Marigold gave to her. Mm-hmm. Factor. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Wow, I can't believe I'm literate. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's cool. I feel like that's, that's almost kind of, it's so, like, subtle. It's, uh, what makes you take, like, narrative risks like that? I guess it's like a narrative comic risk. It's very specific to this medium. I don't think you could do it in another medium really yeah um i mean at this point i feel like it's kind of hard to encourage people to start reading from here um Mm -hmm. i feel like now there has to be a little bit of payoff for uh people who've been reading for a long time if i really want to see these ideas see these arcs to their full conclusion Mm -hmm. um so i i feel like this story um it really is for people who've been reading and know the characters because then they get to see what the character used to be like and they need to sort of help it along a little bit. Like not everything is going to be told by the photo. So Mm -hmm. I realize that it's not going to be clear a hundred percent of the time to people, but um, you know, just like reflecting on what the characters are and what they've been is the goal with this story. And I'm really trying to do it in a way that's not going to be like overbearing for people. Like Mm -hmm. if they went back, um, if they happen to be reading it from the start, Mm -hmm. um, I think most of the, most of the pictures would make sense in that context. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm hopeful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that, mm, you bring up like, like the, like the size of this comic and the payoff. Do you ever, do you worry about that? Like the, I don't know, kind of like the burden of proof, like a reader expects after mm-hmm. like devoting this much time to reading it. That, that, that like a concern like, that they feel like they need to be rewarded with something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel it. Um, and I certainly intend to give people the ending that I think would be satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't necessarily agree with what everyone thinks would be a satisfying ending. Mm, yeah. Um, so I'm really like, I'm thinking a lot about it. Um, I definitely have ideas that have been informed by those kinds of expectations, mm-hmm. but I also want to give the characters, you know, a conclusion that, that would make me happy. Cause I'm starting to realize that I probably won't ever draw these characters again mm-hmm. and they're going to effectively be dead. Well, <laughs> they're going to be like sealed into the story that I told about them. Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely feel the pressure to give them, like a send off that I feel like they deserve from, um, you know, the years of shit that I've put them through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's really funny. Um, uh, I guess like, what is their, what is their age right now? I mean, I feel like it moves for them. Like it's moved in 
fairly real time? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Are they it's like from, in their late twenties now, or like mid twenties? Yeah, yeah. I would say most of them are in their late twenties. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a few characters that I see being a little older or younger than others, and that mm-hmm. kind of informs how I how I want to write them. Yeah. But um, but there's there's a few characters who are legitimately pushing thirty, and mm-hmm. I think that informs their uh their current problems quite a bit that mm. they're they're seeing a change that they can't necessarily control mm-hmm. and they're um they're trying to make sense of it and accept it or fight it or you know whatever it is people do when they realize that number is changing um so yeah i see them i see them in their late 20s and mm. i don't know why i've always like kind of refused to give it a very specific number i guess i don't want to commit to that and yeah then you know get those numbers you know realize i didn't want them to be those numbers later right. um but but yeah the the era of their 20s definitely is creeping up to the end mm. yeah it seems like it'd be hard to like negotiate like their like complicated past or like mm-hmm. their in story past um is that a challenge for you at all i feel like i guess you i feel like you've kind of mm, Maybe not whittled down the cast from the beginning, but I feel like it has a pretty heavy focus now mm-hmm. on a, a good small handful of these characters. Um, yeah. Yeah. I realized that like this current story is basically every character is in it, like the ones mm. that need to have a resolution. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there are, there are a lot of supporting characters that were just kind of like cartoony or they only had one real thing that I had in mind for them mm-hmm. and it sort of happened organically like there are characters now who were kind of throwaways at the beginning who have developed their own agency because it seemed interesting to keep going with that um but yeah I feel like I've preserved the ones that I really want to tell stories about and allowed the the other ones to fall off um or give them a conclusion like a little bit earlier than yeah. the comics mm-hmm um, hmm. do you, so now that, like, Octopus Pie is winding down, like, do you feel like these characters are, like, fading? Because you've lived with them for so long, is it, like, harder to tap into that place, into them, um, at this point? Or are they still pretty, um, like, alive to you? Or, like, in whatever way they are? I think they still feel pretty vital. Um, I, I can detect that they're fading. Um, I definitely look at some characters, like Eve in particular, I'm like, I look at her a little bit more sympathetically than I used to. Like, mm-hmm. oh, honey, I know what you're going through right now. <laughs> um, where I used to be like, Eve is right. Eve is like the indisputable hero. She knows exactly what she's doing. And life mm-hmm. is just being cruel to her. Um, and now I see like, oh, no, you're, you're just, you're just delaying your own happiness. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm still like, I knew what that was like. And I remember it strongly enough that I feel like I can do this story justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, there's going to like, the next one is going to be pretty much a lot of that, um, of just like final mistakes that teach a real lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it still feels very alive in my head, even though I don't identify it with anymore. But if I kept doing this another, like, five years, I think I'd probably be like, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> That's really cool. I'm just, like, I, I don't know what to say. I'm just, like, really enjoying hearing your process. <laughs> I'm just sitting here oh, like, oh, <laughs> so great. <laughs> um, Let's see. I didn't really get to talk to you. I should have, like, put this part in earlier. But just, like, your progression um, and, like, change of tools over time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so reading it last week, it looks like he went from like pen or some sort of pen to like maybe brush and there was like digital inking at some point. The, uh, the first few, like the first year was all digital. Like I, mm-hmm. I just threw it from start to finish on the computer. And then, uh, at a certain point I was like, I gotta like learn how to use, uh, you know, these manual tools. I can't like deal with my computers not working and then I suddenly can't draw comics. Mm. So, and I wanted to have original art too. So I started doing pen. Uh, people got really, really mad when I did that. Oh, really? <laughs> Someone accused me of like baiting and switching them because I had <laughs> drawn it so smoothly before. Oh my um, god! And and I kind of leaned into it. Like the pens were easy enough, but then I was like, I need to learn how to use a brush because that's what cartoonists know how to do. And I went through a phase where the brushwork is just, you know, it starts out real rough. And <laughs> I think that happens about halfway through the the book that's about to come out where mm. you see that I just jump from like smooth digital to like the roughest brushes ever. <laughs> um, but it starts to make sense after like a year. Um, mm. Like that's how long it takes. You have to like draw a webcomic three times a week for a year to see any real movement. At least like that's how it felt for me because I was so um, I refused for so many years to actually try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got really, really into the brush and, um, now I do digital pencils cause it just makes laying everything out so much easier. Mm-hmm. And then I print it out and ink it on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way I get to like have the best of both worlds. I, I get like the benefits of the computer, but also like the line that I'm looking for and, mm-hmm. I find um, digital inking really boring. Like, I just can't deal with polishing things on the computer. Yeah, so yeah. I'd much rather just, like, lay the lines down on paper and scan it in and whatever it is, it is. And uh, I think I think that look is, is a lot more organic and, and nice overall. Yeah, totally. Um, and, like, let's see. What other changes? Uh, color. Hello. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what else has changed? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that started with you. It did. Uh, what is, has it been like a year now? A year and a half? Since? It's, yeah, it's been a little over a year that, yeah, it, it really changes everything. Like I had never done anything in color before except like color a couple of covers and stuff by myself. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not something I'm particularly good at myself. Um, and as I've like done more and more pages with a colorist, mm-hmm. I, like realizing what it is I want from color, um, mm-hmm. just like how important of a storytelling tool it can be. Um, I think it it's opened up a lot. Like, um, you know, I was talking about like the idea of having a vision and then mm-hmm. seeing through as thoroughly as possible and having a vision that's in color is just like, it allows for so much more. Mm-hmm. Like I did a, a comic this past week where um, Hannah's drinking from a mug mm-hmm. and it's, the same color as a mug in one of her old photos when Merrick was her boyfriend and uh you know stuff like that I find yeah that that is communicated very subtly in color in a way that Mm -hmm. I don't think black and white is is um you know it's possible to do it but there's just so many extra layers you can add on top of that right yeah it's like and uh your what's your colorist name Valerie Valerie Hella yeah um, she's been doing such a great job. She's, she took way more risks than I, like, took at all because I was, like, super intimidated. <laughs> uh, but yeah, her just, she ended up, 
um, just like shading your figures, which I was kind of like afraid to do because I'm really afraid to like, I guess, like uh, disturb like line work and stuff. And I yeah, guess from I mean, coloring comics for a, a while before when I was like, before I started drawing um, them regularly, it was like, I don't know. It was always just to be like kind of unobtrusive and kind of like invisible. But right, she like, really has like pressed, like pushed, pushed that forward, like hardcore. Yeah, I'm really amazed by it because I wasn't sure it was a thing either. Like I, I didn't really know what I was looking for in color for the first few months and I, uh, I knew when something looks pretty, but, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, necessarily look for like visual cues that the color was creating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I've been realizing so much more that, um, you know, there's a language to that, that, you know, operates both with and independently of the line art. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, I had no idea. I mean, when I, when I set out to do this, I was really like, this is going to make the comics look real nice and like real profesh. And, uh, that was the, the most ambitious hope I had for it was that it would improve the, the appearance of it. But, uh, being able to tell stories through the color was like an incredible realization. I don't, I don't think I'd go back to black and white unless I had a very specific reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She adds like so much, just like really nicely, like, cell shaded figures and then she has this really nice glowy lighting that she'll overlay um and like yeah I can't even really name like a favorite page that she's worked on because I feel like they all are just like really fitting for each like the mood like the tone like everything yeah there's um there's a couple of pages she's done where the lighting is a little bit more abstract and Mm -hmm. uh those I think are my favorites. Like she did one where Hannah steps out in the rain with a yellow umbrella. And oh yeah. Like purple sky. And I, you know, I gave her a little bit of direction for it where I was just like, I was just like, I want this to look like shapes and you know, mm-hmm. uh, the audience can ascertain like the story from those, those basic shapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she took something and made, made a really beautiful uh, collection of panels with it. Um, and then when she did that, I realized that there was, more potential for it and like in the Jane and Marigold story there's like a few times where uh the scenery turns into colors and shapes and mm. they signify you know very emotional things that I'm not sure I could really be drawing um I think they have to be shown in color um so yeah I I really love the stuff she's done that way like the the somewhat abstracted lighting effects are uh you know I think they really really enhance the stories yeah, definitely. Um, and then also the colored word bubbles. Can we talk about that for a minute? Oh, yeah. I I never, ever would have instructed anybody to do that. Like, yeah. I feel like even of, in, like, mainstream comics or, like, any comics, it's not super common, like, at all. No. And she does it really well. Like, it's really subtle. And it actually, I feel like it, it kind of, like, embeds the dialogue into the scene more. Mm-hmm. For some reason, instead of just like having it white and it just like it's popping out at you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I think, you know, at first, uh, I think at, at first maybe the idea was to uh, color code what people were saying to um, make it clear. I'm actually like looking back and trying to find the moment where she did it first because mm. um, uh, I don't really remember like what the context was. Yeah, I think um I think it was around the time oh, I'm still searching. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I think, um, 
yeah, she started doing it to like convey the mood of a scene mm. um, where like depending on what the characters were saying, they were either like lost and confused or like offering each other advice. Um, and it worked so perfectly in that moment. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, I've always drawn the balloons in an attempt to make them part of the part of the drawing. Like I've I've always kind of hated when comics have uh, balloons that look like the artist didn't even want them there that they just oh, like yeah. they're so they're so on top of the of the action of the of the image that um just it you know the artist would have been just as happy to not even have them yeah uh, i really like when the balloons are like embedded like they're part of the foreground they're part of the background they like exist around the characters themselves yeah totally yeah it's probably it's probably one of the coolest aspects the, of like your newer stuff that is just another another aspect that is really exciting to see <laughs> and cool and unique and different. I agree. I yeah, agree. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, so so much OP talk. This is great. <laughs> um, yeah. So, how much longer do, do you have? Do we have with OP with Octopus um, Pie? Sorry, I keep calling it OP because I've abbreviated <laughs> it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, there's this story, which is like super long. I think this is going to end up being like close to 60 pages. Mm. And then I've got, um, one, two, I got two more like big stories and then a third story that'll be like a, like a big epilogue kind of thing. Um, so I guess, I guess after this, there's going to be about three stories unless I think of something that is like super, super urgent to tell. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that'll wrap it up pretty tidily. That's amazing. So about a year? Yeah, I would say a year. If each story ends up being, um, you know, 30-something pages, then that would be a year already. So okay. who knows? It might even be like, I might even make it to the 10-year mark of May 2017. Oh, that'd be cool. 10 years. Oh, that's, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Um, I kind of want to talk about uh, kind of like the... I guess like the businessy sides of comics, if mm-hmm. you feel yeah. like it. Sure. Um, I guess com- like being a comics person, especially one that self publishes, um, and being in like the world of social media, like this is weird territory mm-hmm. for independent publishers. So, what are your thoughts on like I don't know, like main like maintaining like a persona or you know. Mm-hmm. God, I mean, honestly, like if I entered in it now and I mean, I'm I'm teaching the students who enter into it now and I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be them because it seems extremely difficult to get anyone to pay attention to you right now. Right. Um, like the hustle aspect of comics, um, I feel like there was a time where um, you did not have to have a very good comic and you could kind of hustle people to care about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can still do that, but the the hustle is has to be so strong at this point um and then a lot of people focus on their art uh exclusively and the art should be enough to uh you know to sell itself but uh it seems like all of the like gorgeous artsy comics where you don't really hear anything else from the author mm-hmm. um never really achieve that popularity mm-hmm. like the popularity that they they seem to deserve uh, unless they're truly a, like a breakout phenomenon, 
Like, I don't think, I don't think Kate Beaton, uh, marketed herself very strongly in the beginning. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe she would disagree with me on that, but mm-hmm. it seems like she was kind of just like, here's a place for them because my friends asked me to do it. And like, now you can stop begging me to read them. <laughs> um, I don't know how often that happens. I feel like that's the anomaly that yeah. a lot of the time you just have to be like, uh, Hey, just a reminder I exist. Here's just another reminder that I exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people are, are so fickle, especially now where um, social media has created all these little passive feeds that we have to like, we're not proactive about, um, you know, typing in, uh, you know, uh, dinosaurcomics.com, uh, quants.com or whatever, uh, to like go to your favorite webcomic is kind of um, disappearing mm. into, uh, you know, scrolling through Tumblr and seeing everything that you've subscribed to. And, uh, if, if that person stops posting there, you may forget that it exists. Yeah. Um, so I feel like marketing now, so much of it is just reminding people nonstop, like reminding them more than once a day that you updated, um, which I kind of fail at a lot of the time. I forget to do it because I, I guess I already have an audience and I take that for granted sometimes mm-hmm. that, that I, I, at some point I had to talk myself up like that. Um, so as in terms of like what I had to do, I mean, I think the most important thing I did was just make a lot of friends in mm-hmm. comics who wanted to link to me. And, uh, you know, in spite of being kind of a shy person, just like, you know, try and talk about it, uh, mm-hmm. publicly as much as I could. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else you can do but make friends like that and just make the best thing you can possibly make. Um, cause there's, there really isn't anybody that's going to market a webcomic for you. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're sort of, at, you're at the mercy of these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, what I try to teach my students, like in the classes specifically webcomics, um, I just, I try to teach them to know how to use every platform and to program their own website. And to, to know how to like talk to people on social media without being obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, you know, this, this mix of like creating something that you legitimately think has an audience and, uh, and just gently with finesse reminding them all the time that it's out there mm-hmm. and being part of the greater community. And I feel like those are the three things that you can possibly do and Mm -hmm. there's no guarantee but but hopefully if you do those things you can you can find your audience yeah yeah it's it's so interesting because I feel like I don't know I feel like the word community is like a better word than what there actually is (laughs) it just (laughs) feels like a I feel like that's too good of a word for what we have it feels like just a bunch of like really like micro clicks and then we all have between those micro clicks, we have these micro audiences mm-hmm. and like, yeah, it feels like really just like chaotic and yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't feel like that early on. And I mean, I could be wrong, but like back in like the live journal days when mm-hmm. I was, when I was friends with all these people, it felt like web comics was this thing and mm-hmm. we were all, you know, we were all building towards some greater existence within that, that thing. Whereas, you know, now, like, I'll hear about a million dollar Kickstarter of this webcomic I've never heard of. And it's a reminder of how much that's diverged in the last few years. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's great on some level, like, as long as those tools are there that people can, you know, they only need a thousand people to to love them and they can get 
the support they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also daunting because there's no rules. Like there's, there's nothing you can do to, uh, to, you know, find your place in one of those communities necessarily, or even mm-hmm. to choose where to look for that kind of support. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's chaotic right now. Mm, for sure. Um, yeah, I was also wondering, like, since you started Octopus Pie and like, I guess, I guess starting out, where, where did you sit within comics culture when you're first starting out and like, how has that changed? And like, who, who were like your contemporaries during that time, like 2007? 2007. Or like, not, it doesn't have to be specifically then, but maybe like your group that you were kind of like, like your, your community. My peeps. Yeah, your peeps. Yeah, um, let's see. Uh, I mean, I was really, I was kind of the youngest person I hung out with for a while because, mm. um, like I was saying, John Rosenberg was a big one and he was, uh, in the Dumbrella Collective. So like Rich Stevens and Andy Bell and, um, Sam Brown. Uh, and Stephen Cloud, they were all making web comics around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Rowland, who runs Topatico, um, I was kind of just looking to them for a long time, but, um, I was trying to catch up with them and, and do what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for years, that was like, I think that was my group and I was kind of just like learning from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the, you know, there were also the people I went, I went to, uh, college with that were just like, you know, not really looking to find that place in it. It was just sort of like comics are fun and cool and, and it's a fascinating thing to be watching right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like, like my, my place started to seem a little more apparent when like Ryan North came around and like a little later Kate Beaton, um, like the, I don't know, there was a, a like, I guess, uh, Emily and Joey from a softer world, mm. uh, like that, that sort of level of, of, um, you know, activeness in like the convention circuit and also like the business model of selling t-shirts along with books. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we were all kind of doing the same thing in like the mid two thousands. Okay. Um, yeah. That's I don't interesting. know if that it or not, but <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I just, am kind of trying to get a grasp of that time since I mean, yeah, I just wasn't reading comics. Mm-hmm. Web comics specifically during like mid two thousands because for whatever reason um uh, it's just interesting to me to see kind of the change mm-hmm. um and it seems like and it's interesting because now I feel like it's like super fertile ground for like uh like just women artists and like mm-hmm. whatever marginalized artists um and it's just interesting to see that drastic development over I feel like is not a super long time um. Yeah. It, yeah, it's like hyperspeed because it's the internet. Yeah. Um, yeah, because there were, I mean, you know, the women in comics thing was still like a phrase. And I mean, I guess to some extent it still kind of is. And yeah. People sort of, you know, use that pedestal a little bit more than they need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, things are absolutely different. Like, you know, most of my friends were white men in comics in yeah. the 2000s. Like there, there were, there, uh, there were there were rare exceptions to that um Mm -hmm. i think you know it kind of like like web comics like a lot of um internet culture kind of sprung out of like programmers um and you had like you know a very male dominated like that was a very male dominated field in like oh yeah that makes sense um and then you've got like all the early web comics that are popular like uh 
you know, like PVP and Penny Arcade and like comics that talked about nerd culture and, Mm -hmm. you know, things that were specifically interesting to that demographic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and all those comics, you know, they still have enormous audiences, but uh, at the time, like that was, that was who was making comics. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, I think web comics have kind of helped that because like, you know, even if you're, whether you're into video games or not, just like looking at something like that and being like, Oh my God, you can make a comic about whatever you want and maybe it'll find its audience Mm. um, has been a big thing for people who never even considered that they would be cartoonists. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say that change has kind of, you know, like the early web comics sort of accelerated that change, um, which I think is, is a nice, a nice effect. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, So how do you feel now about, I guess, like the comic scene as a whole? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I guess, like you're being published through Image now. Um, So it's kind of cool to see that like cross crossover between web comics and like mainstream or like alt mainstream, whatever Image is, um, Mm -hmm. when they used to be so kind of separated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were super separated, like. Even the idea of like a webcomic winning an award took a few years. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if you remember like the, the Eisners, like they introduced webcomics as a category in like the early 2000s. Oh, okay. And, and like almost every nominee was like some print comic artist who did a little thing on the web just to like try <laughs> it out. And it was just like, oh, okay. So, well, this is 12 pages long. Um, I guess that's better than like, some really good webcomic that's been running for years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and even, you know, like up until recently, you still had resistance from like the National Cartoonist Society who, you know, a lot of syndicated cartoonists who are like really scared of the changing, uh, you know, the sea change and yeah. like where they're going to be when everything shakes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was a bit of resentment that you had like a lot of people who were not always, um, appearing to even be, uh, technically skilled or if they were it didn't seem like they came up through those same channels mm-hmm. um so there was like it felt like there was a division between you know web cartoonists uh indie cartoonists who were not like web specific like those two butted heads uh syndicated cartoonists who are worried about their future and uh mainstream cartoonists who don't give a shit yeah. <laughs> they have no reason to like like superhero cartoonists um I think um, what might have bridged it a little bit is, like, graphic novels. Mm. Like, the rise of graphic novels was, like, in the mid-2000s, it was, like, so many women, like, Raina Telgemeier and Hope Larson, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of, like, you know, having some, some great success in graphic novels and that being interesting to, like, uh, again, kids who never read them before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, um, you know, like I, I was friendly with a lot of those people who were in graphic novels for a few years, and it didn't seem like that uh, that rivalry was there between web comics and graphic novels. And I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but I think it had something to do with with both mediums being a place that were, you know, that was quickly collecting a new demographic of readers. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we saw some greater purpose to creating comics that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the lines have blurred. I mean, you know, webcomic artists get hired to write Marvel books and stuff now. So, uh, at some point, I think people are just going to stop caring about it. Yeah, totally. Um, 
Do you see any, I guess, trends like in the comics world that I guess you're like interested in right now? I guess it doesn't have to be trends. It can be like work or specific people that you like love or maybe hate. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, can I be a hater on this podcast? Please be a hater. (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing that that I find uh, troubling is when people take the safe route and you know, they'll put something online that they know is going to garner a certain amount of uh, interest. Mm-hmm. And they, they're they not necessarily writing from an honest place a lot of the time. Um, you know, they'll they'll go for a simplistic message or they'll go the, the, you know, clickbait route and go for a message that incites and, you know, just like it's provocative, but in a really yeah. lazy way. Uh-huh. Um, there's, um, there's a lot of like culture around fan art which I kind of find suspect at the moment because mm. it seems like people will say like oh I just had to draw this Batman or whatever because like <laughs> I had to and it's like oh because like you had to get 12,000 notes on your Tumblr is that yeah. <laughs> um, it, uh, I think you know the personal branding thing and you know I was just saying like like this stuff seems uh, terrifying to me like like the the thought of starting out in this seems terrifying so mm-hmm. I get why people are like I need to I need to make a grab for attention right now but I I feel like that also kind of waters down um, you know there's not this greater push for something more interesting and, and more experimental and mm-hmm. I I wish I wish there was more of that uh, more interest in doing that mm-hmm. Um. I mean, as far as stuff I like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't fixate on that. Um, I think, you know, uh, like between like Homestuck and like Thunderpaw, mm-hmm. I think, um, animation and comics is really fascinating. Like, like truly something that nobody has done before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that stuff really exciting. Um, and, and it even just like, it changes the, t- the type of animation that people want to do just so that it's readable that way. Mm. Um, so there's like there's like the interactive stuff like the you know there's a technical fascination uh with with stuff like that uh with me. Um apart from that I don't know I'm I'm really just excited like you're saying that there's there's all these different voices coming up in comics right now. Mm-hmm. Like I look at my students and I know that the the stuff they're coming up with right now um is going to just grow and there's going to be like like a lot of these people are going to be unstoppable in a few years. And, uh, you know, they may not be well represented in comics right now, but what they have to say is going to be, uh, is going to define what comics look like in a few years. Um, so I am really excited about that. Um, you know, that, that's more of a vague feeling <laughs> that like looking at what people are making right now and who's being inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, that those waves are just going to build on each other and we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of the, um, a lot of the technical skill of today uh, leapfrogging off of the innovation of like 10 to 15 years ago um, mm-hmm. Where, mm-hmm. where the whole idea of comics was like that infinite canvas thing. And, you know, like Scott McCloud said that in like 2001 and people just kind of made, made fun of him for yeah. it. <laughs> but I think we're going to see more people realizing the potential of that with actually something to say. Right. Along. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. That's sort of a vague answer, but, um, I, I'm definitely like, like there, nothing bad can come out of more people being interested in making comics. Yeah, totally. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> except in like two years, it's all going to be like peak Tumblr self-care comics. Drawn yeah. like <laughs> no. Oh my god, self-care. I, I see some like I see some of that self-care stuff, and I'm like, like while technically I agree, um, yeah. there's like people are like, oh, don't be too hard on yourself. Like take breaks, and I'm like, no. Draw comics until you die. Yeah. <laughs> Leave comics. Just do it for a few years while you can. Yeah. Like, when, when, when that self care stuff becomes like, like, don't push yourself too hard. I'm like, no, please push yourself so hard. <laughs> yeah. They're like, take a nap. Take another nap. It's fine. <laughs> take an eight hour nap. Self care. <laughs> right. Take a shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, but also, like, bleed comics. Just bleed a little bit for your work. Yeah. I think I think it's a good idea. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess the last question I want to ask is, are there any new projects on the horizon after, I guess, after Octopus Pie is done? I mean, um, it's bouncing around. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about it because that's, like, an idea killer for me if I... Oh, yeah. If I if I state specifics, but um, I really want to work with Mike Holmes, who is my husband, uh, <laughs> my hubby, my um, my husband Mike and I would really like to do something together. Um, I've worked with him a couple times now uh, collaboratively. Like he helped me with the uh, the Jane page that we we're talking about earlier. Like he drew he drew on my art a lot of the time, and oh, cool. like I like I did a lot of roughs, and he would add detail to that. And we sort of, you know, worked on the same drawings together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found it so easy to collaborate with him that way. Um, he's extremely fast at drawing, which I can't believe, like, how fast he, like, he draws an entire graphic novel in, like, the time it would take me to, like, put down my thumbnail. <laughs> it's so unbelievable. And I find that I work a little faster just working with him because I'm, like, I'm, like, trying to keep up with him while I'm doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of potential to be really, really productive with him. And I think our, our tastes are kind of similar. So um, whatever it is we work on, we're going to uh, come to the same conclusions and like, and like really agree when an idea is working. Oh, that's so exciting. So cool. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you think you'll be doing any animation stuff? Or- yeah. I don't know, like, comic-y stuff? I look at, I look at animations, like, when people post their little, like, Tumblr loops of, like, this animation test I've been working on or whatever, I'm like, oh, that'd be fun, I should do, like, a little cartoon. Oh, um, yeah. But, I don't know, then I think about, like, the, the kind of work it takes, not even the amount, but, like, the type of work, and I'm yeah. just like, I love drawing the, I love drawing the poses, like, if I could just draw a million poses and no backgrounds, that'd be amazing, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I don't know. It's just like the kind of work doesn't seem as exciting to me right now. And I look at people who have just like surpassed me mm. um, in terms of in terms of animation where they've really focused on it. And I tell myself like I've focused on this and, and this is what I'm getting better at. And I'm probably not the best voice to tell stories through animation. Like it's mm. it's better suited to other people. Um, so I feel like I I really just want to focus on comics for now and Maybe I'll come back to it, but, um, you know, maybe I'll just, like, collaborate with somebody who's an incredible animator. And yeah, I know. Like, it. time is, like, the invisible factor for mm-hmm. all of our work that I don't think any 
like readers usually think about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no. they're like, why did you choose to do this? And I'm like, I literally ran out of time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. And, you know, that can, that can lead to cool, uh, creative choices as well. But yeah, making animation, like the amount of time it takes and the amount of time I'd have to be invisible from my audience to come up with a, with animation. Yeah. Causes me a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, it's a little much, a little intense. Yeah. How about no? Yeah, no. (laughs) Oh man. Well, cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, no problem. This is so nice. Yes, it was really awesome. You're like really wise and really talented. So this was really fun for me. Oh well, we should do this again next week. Okay, you know what? Let's do it now. Yeah, thank you. And again, Octopus Pie Volume 1 will be out February 24th through Image. So pre-order. Do you have a pre-order code, actually, that you want to Oh, like the Diamond ID. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's Nov, like Mm N-O-V, 150665. Okay, cool. So you heard that, folks. So go to your local store, get a pre-order in. You got to read it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woo! Woo! All right. That's what you'll be saying while you're reading it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you, Sloan. If